We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. I just remember getting this spanking one time. <laughs> With a hand or a switch? With a hand. Oh. I, I I deserved it for sure. But I just remember like... You didn't. You didn't deserve it. Because <laughs> children should not be spanked. But please continue. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just remember um, crying and singing at the same time and mm. finding it to be so therapeutic. I had to be like five years old. My dad thought it was like the most hilarious thing. Me just like bawling and crying at the same time. I mean, bawling and singing at the same time. And man, yeah. I think that was like the start of really. What does that sound like? Oh man, a wail, a moan, a holler. <laughs> I, <laughs> I definitely couldn't replicate it. It right definitely now. sounds like the blues. As far as a five, the worst thing that could happen is to a five-year-old is I got spanked by mm. my father, and now I'm letting out this the pain in my heart by. <laughs> Yo, for real, that is that's the blues for sure. <laughs> it's a ratio. Okay, though. It's a ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. Duran Jones is an amazing soul musician, singer, writer, creator. He's got a new album called Wait Till I Get Over. And I love diving deep into his musical history because it goes deep. Let's get it. It's Duran Jones on Touré Show. So this album is about Hillaryville. Yes. Little town you grew mm -hmm. up in. Tell us about it. Tell us about where you grew up. And. Um, in Louisiana. In Louisiana. On the did, I, did I say Louisiana right? Are you supposed to say it? Yeah, you can say Louisiana. Some people but, say Louisiana. That's what I like. You know. <laughs> that's what I like. That's that's them country folks right there. But mm -hmm. your country. Yeah, for sure. So tell me, how many people are there? You know, it's a good question. I was asking my brother that, and I was like, you think there's like 700, 1,000 people in Hillaryville? And he was like... No, he was like maybe 350, 500. So you talk about like a one stoplight town. That's not even a <laughs> light. <laughs> do, you, do you have a mayor? No, no. So it's, it's, it's unincorporated. Okay. Yeah. Is it all black? Used to be. Okay. Used to be. Mostly black. Yeah, mostly black. And you know everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those towns where like if you don't, wave at Miss Ivory Carter when she's on her porch. She's going to call 
your people and be like, your boy didn't, didn't, didn't wave, wave at me. He didn't say hello to me. You know, like it, it's totally that sort of vibe. <laughs> and y'all were poor. In a way, yeah. You know, I didn't realize it until I left. Mm. And I was like, wow, we, you know, we were we were poor, but, you know, my dad still made sure we had Christmas and mm. birthdays and all that jazz. But um, leaving, upon leaving, I realized, whoa, he was really making it work with very, very little. When did music start? Mm. I think, man, mm. I think music started for me. I just remember getting this spanking one time. <laughs> with a hand or a switch? With a hand. Oh. I, I I deserved it for sure. But I just remember like You didn't. You didn't deserve <laughs> it. Because <laughs> children should not be spanked. But please continue. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just remember um, crying and singing at the same time and mm. finding it to be so therapeutic. I had to be like five years old. My dad thought it was like the most hilarious thing, me just like bawling and crying at the same time. I mean, bawling and singing at the same time. And man, yeah, I think that was like the start of really. What does that sound like? Oh, man. A wail, a moan, a holler. <laughs> I, <laughs> I definitely couldn't replicate it, it right now. It definitely sounds like the blues as far as a five. The worst thing that could happen is to a five-year-old is I got spanked by mm. my father. And now I'm letting out this, the pain in my heart. by <laughs> Yo, for real, that is. That's the blues for sure. <laughs> Finding a way to navigate that pain through something yeah. therapeutic. Yeah. Truly. I didn't know it was that at the time, though. No. <laughs> I was just singing my little heart out and crying, you know. And it continues mainly in church or mainly at home? Mainly, it continued mainly at home until it got really aggravating for my family. And they were like, why don't you go sing in church? Like, you need somewhere, some other place to so sing. So you were walking around the house singing all the time? All the time. All the time. My grandmother would get so fed up. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't really that supportive. Uh, they were supportive in their own way. But, uh, but yeah, means. even like getting the saxophone, there would, there would be moments where they'd just be like, go outside and play that thing. Because <sighs> we're just tired of hearing it in the house. Like, But you got your 10,000 hours in in the house as a kid. Right, like that's where you were like experimenting and developing oh, your voice. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just, just singing my little heart out, and it was a very personal thing for me back then. I was very introverted, very to myself, a really shy kid, and so that was something personal for me mm. and only me. Mm, you were singing to yourself for myself. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And because so so does that continue that foundation of singing for yourself? Is that still sort of where you are? No. Um now I've realized that it's my purpose and I'm walking in it fully. And I think with that, what I want to do is I want to be a healer. I always ask myself, like, if I could have a superpower, what would it be? 
And I think I would want to be like some type some type of like healer guy or something. Okay. Um, and in my own way, I feel like I try to do that at my shows. Like I want folks to leave better than they came. Nice. And if that happens, then I know that I did my job correctly. Nice. Wait, so how do you do that? I have to express love and joy and empathy and um and really harbor a place of love. Um I really feel the task to do that now. There was one point after the pandemic around 2021 where I started to get back on the road again and play a lot of music again where these certain audiences all around the country which just see people breaking out in fights in the audience. And I was like, I think it's a little bit of my job, my duty to make this place a loving place, a peaceful place, harbor those things. Um, You know, some folks were like, you know, you don't have anything to do with that. But in a way, I feel like I do. Um, The energy that I give out, the energy that I put out, I really want it to be healing. I want it to be loving and peaceful. And, I, and I, I've noticed, especially like when I go on stage and set those intentions, I haven't seen any fights since. So I got to keep going with that. That's beautiful. Soul music definitely has that ability to heal, right? As a, I think as a direct son of the blues. Yeah. And soul music that's about love and home and just creating peace, yeah. you know, some of the, I think some of the great songs we think of, like the intention is to create peace in the listener and it can do that so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really do feel like soul music can lament with you yeah. when you're sad. It can rejoice when, with you when you're happy. It can be the party for you whenever you want to celebrate and everything in between. And I think that's why, I've really found my voice and my placing within um, that genre, or it found me in many ways. The 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 church has been incredibly important in the development of soul music, yes. and I think a lot of modern artists aren't going to church, and so they're getting a different education. Yeah. But like you're getting that classic soul music education by being in a Southern, it was Baptist church. It was, yep. Southern Baptist, like, right. I mean, like that's sort of part of the heart of soul music. Yeah. Yeah. And in many ways, um, I really feel like African-American religious music was kind of the birth of American music in many ways. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, it it was really important for me to recognize the importance of being in a setting like that and also embracing and soaking it all in and taking it in. There were so many amazing singers in my little town who had no ambition to do what I'm doing right now. Um, and Sunday morning was just good enough for them. Yeah. And um, they were huge influences on my singing, on on my phrasing, on my musicality, and I'm super thankful, super, super thankful for that. So wait, when did you start to say, 
maybe I should do this for a job. Maybe I should leave this town and go see how far I can take this. And I was around 17 years old. Um, I started to sing in the choir at church when I was like 16. My grandmother forced me to do it. I didn't want to do it. Huh. Why didn't you want to do it if you loved singing? Because I was so nervous and afraid and like the introvert, shy kid in me was just like, what if they're all just going to laugh at you? You know, like Mm. that sort of thing. And so like the first year of being in that choir, I just mouthed the words. I didn't even (laughs) sing a note, dog, like straight up. Even in rehearsal? Even in rehearsal. Nobody caught you? Nobody caught me. I mean, surely they must have heard like... (laughs) What's your mother's name? Oh, man. Um... My stepmother's name is Penny Jones, which, who's also a singer as well. Well, no, I'm sure they're like, how come Penny's son's not singing? <laughs> what, the, what the hell? Right? We don't even, right? I don't even think of Durant. Like, what's the matter with Penny's son? He's not saying anything. He's pretending. I can, pa- I, Pastor, I could hear. He's not singing. I'm not trying to snitch. I'm just saying. I don't know, man. I guess they were just giving me the benefit of the doubt. And maybe they were just like, oh, he just wants to be up here. But you were, were you the youngest one? Uh, I was one of the youngest, yeah. I had another friend who was total opposite, extroverted. He would, like, direct the choir and do all these different things. And, um, yeah, I was, like, the shy one, really quiet, really meek. Eventually, I got a little comfortable to sing a little bit, and immediately the organist heard me, and she was like, I'm going to get you to sing a solo and wow. she got me to sing a solo in front of the church, and everyone went crazy, catching the Holy Ghost. What was they the had, song? Um, it was called All I Want to Do is Praise Your Name. Uh-huh. And a little ballad tune. And I mean, like, it got so intense to where the pastor was like, all right, we're going to have to take a little five-minute breather. <laughs> like, it was that amazing. <laughs> and um, afterwards, after church, folks were coming up and just— showing love and handing me money and stuff. And that's where I was like, okay, maybe. This is real. Maybe I am capable of, you know, making something out of this singing. Thing. But it's a huge shock to system when you leave a tiny town and oh, yeah. go. Wait, where did you go from Hillaryville? From Hillaryville, I went to college at a small university called Southeastern Louisiana University in Hamilton. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then you go to Indiana. Yes, for grad school. Okay. A lot of singers don't go to graduate school, right, for music, right? Mm-hmm. A lot, right? Most professional singers do not do that. So what did you learn there that you carry with you that's that's made you the person you are? In Indiana? Yeah, in graduate <laughs> school. Well, funny thing is I didn't go to grad school for singing either. I went for classical saxophone. Okay. Um, and I had this— um, I had this assistantship, this job with this class called the IU Soul Review. And I'm pretty sure, at least it was the case when I was there, it's the only nationally accredited soul music class where the kids can audition. Wow. And if they make it in, you not only learn about soul music, you perform it as well. That year, they just happened to be short on male singers and so the director asked me to sing. I reluctantly said yes. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I left Louisiana and I was like, I'm going to be a saxophone player. I'm going to be a classical musician, you know, like, mm, you know. 
And Universe is like, no, 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 no. We got a whole other plan for you. Yeah, people nudged you to singing, right? This is yeah. twice now you've said that somebody, three times, right? Yeah. Because your your grandmother said go to church, and it was the choir director. It was yeah. like, you're going to do a solo. Yeah. And now this, it was a man at IU. Yes. Is saying, no, 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 go sit, right? So people keep pushing you in that direction. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess they saw something within me that I didn't see within myself, um, which was so dang on beautiful. Yeah. I I guess what I grabbed most from grad school with with singing was um, finding my own personal voice Um, before, before going to Indiana. I was in a bunch of cover bands out in Louisiana, which was... Absolutely great. I learned just as much in those cover bands as I did in church because every weekend I got to sing Stevie and Al Green and James Brown and Michael Jackson and Etta James and uh, Gladys Knight and all of these wide array of soul musicians. Not only did I get to figure out, you know, exactly what were they doing vocally, but also like experiencing the songwriting. You know, the Holland Dozier Holland tunes and the other great Motown songwriters and um, how David Ruffin can get that really rough sound and then immediately go to something crooning. You know, like all of those things I really learned doing those covers. Um, And then getting to Indiana, I really found my voice, um, who I wanted to be as a vocalist, which was... um, very beautiful and to to witness the word grace comes to mind um gracious for that yeah. did the sax inform or inspire some of what you do with the voice some people you know i never correlated the two until folks would tell me that they could hear interesting yeah interesting yeah and i'm still trying to figure that out <laughs> We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, 
resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) So wait, so... So let me jump back for a second because you've talked about um, being queer, being mm-hmm. gay, and there's a journey there because yeah. you were ashamed of it when you were at home yeah. in, in Hillaryville, yeah. and now you're very proud. Yeah. And sometimes being up in that restrictive church environment can be more emotionally complex. So talk about your journey from realizing who you are feeling ashamed about it, you know, the family reaction, and then getting to a place of, like, pride and acceptance. Yeah. Um, it was something that I always felt within myself. I mean— You always knew it. Always knew it. I remember being in preschool and, like, having a crush on a boy named Dane. You know, like, I just always, like, had that thing. Um but I knew immediately that it was not right or wrong at the time. Um, Going to church every Sunday, rest in peace. There was this amazing, amazing uh, singer and organist who passed away. Uh, His name was Terry, obviously queer. And he would absolutely just set the church on fire, just like really get people out of their seats, really like get the Holy Ghost moving and going, like really setting it up for the pastor to knock it out the park. And then the pastor sometimes would get on the pulpit and talk about how homosexuality is wrong Mm. and gay people are going to hell. And it was like everybody's eyes would avert to Terry, you know, while he's sitting there on the organ. And And even as a kid, I just thought that was so wrong and messed up because he's doing the Lord's work in so many ways. But um, just hearing that indoctrination nearly every Sunday, like really made me ashamed and also like made me as an adolescent and as a teenager, you know, question God, like, why did you make me this way? Like, why did you put me through this? Um, I didn't realize that I was being, move towards a fragile form of masculinity um, and not fully embracing all parts of myself. Um, I think what led me to embrace and, and learn to love myself is getting out of Hillaryville and going to college and meeting folks. Um, The tune, that feeling on, my solo record, 
um, that guy um, who I wrote that song for, because I was totally like, I knew I had these feelings, but I never acted upon them. And he was someone who really was flat out um, blunt with me, like, hey, I like you, and I think you like me, and we should try this out. And um, I really appreciate him for doing that because it it really opened me up to a world that I was so afraid of and really gave me a lot of freedom and confidence within myself. Um, for years and years, all of my close friends knew that I was bisexual, but I still like really kept it private into myself. Um, Were you really bi? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, some people say or feel that, but because they or the world around them is not ready to be like, I'm actually gay. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not bi. Yeah. Sometimes I, it's so weird. Sometimes I would love to call myself a sapiosexual. <laughs> Wait, but what does that mean? Sapiosexual is someone who's like attracted to people with brilliant minds. Um, Whatever would, gender. Yeah. Really? I would love to say I'm sapiosexual, but I've definitely fallen for some stupid ass people before. Um, <laughs> Who hasn't? Yo, yo. <laughs> but I will say um, a brilliant mind to me is so damn sexy. Um, but sometimes I feel absolutely asexual. Like sure. I don't want to be with anyone. Sure. Um, and I'm still grappling with that um, and discovering who I am every day. Sometimes I'm like, maybe I'm pansexual. Sometimes I see a trans man or a trans woman. I'm like, damn, they are fine as hell. Sure. Um, but I've never dated um, uh, a non-binary person um, before. So there's a lot for me to discover still. I'm, um, I'm, I'm becoming. Yeah. Yes. Are you in a relationship now? No. Okay. Uh, so, you, so you're free to become. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, my relationship right now is with music, and yes. that's what the song I Want You on the record is about. I have literally put every relation, every intimate relationship aside for my career. It's been, it's been something that I've wanted so badly, maybe too badly, I don't know, but um. I really desire and long for that relationship with music. Um, and then once I achieve what I want from that, maybe I'll go dating again. Right. Yeah. Do you see the way you feel in the music? Do you see that part of you coming into the music? Yes. Yes. Because I don't listen to the music and say, oh, this is a queer artist. This is a soul music artist. I mm -hmm. hear the blackness. I hear the maleness. Maybe somebody else will be like, well, I hear it. But it, right, you know, so, but you're like, it's, no, it's all in there. It's in there for me. Yeah. And this record right here was such a personal one. Um, I didn't realize it when I was doing it, but it honestly was like a therapy session because I was taking all of these traumatizing things to me at the time and really working through them and um, finding strength through vulnerability, which has been a really beautiful process for me. Now, wait, 
I want to talk about the making of this record. Yeah. But first, you are you are in a group, and this is a solo record. And yes. I was remember, I was wonder. So, what is the moment when you say to the guys? So, I know I'm the front man and the leader of the group, but this one I'm going to do solo, right? And are they like? Oh man, really? Are they like, yeah, go for it? But damn, you're kind of leaving us behind. <laughs> I appreciate this question a lot. Um, it was it was a bit of mixed feelings, truthfully. Um, my my other bandmate Aaron Fraser, he dropped a solo record, maybe about a year or so before. And I feel like he opened Pandora's box a little bit, which honestly, when he came back from that process, he had this sense of confidence about him. Um, he had this this new something newly developed that felt very special. Um, I could I would tell him like sitting next to you, I can feel the fire wow. burning, um, and I kind of wanted that too. Um, and so with working with the indications, you know, I it it was such a collaborative process. And I had to learn that um to not take it personally to hear no. Um, like, no, this is not the aesthetic, no, this is not what we're gonna do. Um, whatever, whatever. But I wanted to know, like, okay, like what if I could go into the studio and just do whatever the hell I wanted to do? Um and so I really, it really burned in me to to give it a shot and to to go for it. When I told the guys that I wanted to do it, um, they were just like, okay, yeah, cool, you know? <laughs> um, and once I shared with them what I was working on, they were like, whoa, okay, you're on to something here. Okay. So they've been pretty encouraging uh, for the most part. Little resentment, though. There's been, I've heard, you know, Someone on the indications team told me that I was making a huge mistake. Mm, um, wow. You know, and I didn't care. I, I knew that this was something that I really needed to do, something that I had to do. So he wasn't going to deter me from that. But are these the sorts of things that lead to a group breaking up? Like, you know, like little resentments or have, like maybe that person clearly feels some resentment and you may feel resentment that he said and felt that way. And if y'all come back together, maybe like, yeah, I'm looking at you side. I'm looking at you. Right. You know, and it just sort of develops and what other people are about. Right. And like, is that kind of part of how it happens? That's what therapy's for, dog. Mm. You know, and group therapy. Yes. Y'all do that. Yes. Really? Which I highly recommend every band to do. Wait, the, the it's, it's five of y'all. Yes. And you go as a group to see one specific therapist. Yes. Monthly? We try monthly, but with all of our varying schedules, it depends from time to time. And And it's made a huge difference. Oh, so far, yes. Incredible. And I mean, it's sometimes it's one-on-one. It's like two bandmates grieving some things out. And sometimes it's three. Um, sometimes, you know, someone from the team may join and sometimes, you know, full band. So yeah, it's been really awesome and super beneficial. Um, and I'm so thankful that I have 
a group of guys who are willing and down to do something like that with me. Well, let's not, you don't have to name any specific individuals, but like a, a lesson that came out of therapy that helped the group continue to move forward. Mm. I think what our expectations are of each other and what we want out of the group. Um, For many of us, I think we felt like, okay, this is my shot. This is my opportunity. I can't let anybody mess this up, you know. Meanwhile, in doing so with that mindset, you kind of dismiss everyone around you, your collaborators, your 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 musicians, your your folks. And so learning to unpack that has been super beautiful and super beneficial. Yeah. That's amazing. I that's definitely more groups should do that. I've heard of some groups that do that. I talked to a group that was like, yeah, we're in therapy. It made a huge Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome. Really awesome. Uh, so, okay, you have the freedom to go into the studio to do whatever you want. How do you go about making music when you have complete freedom? Man, I wanted to wanted to have concepts. I wanted it to be art forward. Um, I wanted to try things that I never gotten the opportunity to try before. Um, And so that required me to find musicians who were willing to step off and step off the cliff and dive into the deep end with me. Um, And I'm so thankful for the guys um, that that were willing to let me lead them into the abyss. Um, I brought all of these artists that I really admired um, non-music artist, because um, I wanted us to be influenced by things not so literal. I wanted the metaphor to be huge in the recording process for this. And so we had these binders with, like, um, prints from Glenn Ligon mm. and um, these sound suits from this guy. His name is Nick Cave. Um, mm-hmm. there was, uh, we had like these murals from Teresita Fernandez and, um, these quilt paintings, which are absolutely fabulous by this artist, um, Anna Buckner, um, where they just, they just contort and stretch and move and, and, and really have like this amorphous vibe about them that, that feels really, really, really cool. And, I brought some books in, Toni Morrison, Sula, um, uh-huh. James Baldwin, Just Above My Head, uh-huh. Yoko Ono, Grapefruit, um, some Fred Moten poems, some Nikki Giovanni poems, some Claudia Rankine poems. And instead of like listening to music as references, we looked at this art for reference. So instead of being like, I want this group to feel like James Brown, I would say like, I want this groove to move in the shape that this Anna Buckner quote painting moves, or I wanted to, or we would watch the Nick Cave sound suits moving, and, and you know I'd be like, hear the how that wood is moving, like that's what we need in this in this essence in this context, and that was so much fun to do. 
Absolutely. I love that you brought these non-musical things for inspiration for music. That's amazing. Talk about a little bit about how Morrison and Baldwin and Ligon influenced things. Oh, man. Tony's honesty, um, her, her ability to cut the fluff and get right into the visceral. Um, it's inspirational to me. And particularly the book Sula um, really resonated with me um, just on the lines of infidelity and freedom and um, this, there's like these lines in, in the, at the beginning of the book where, She's talking about how there's these people who are dancing um, and some white folks are watching and the white folks are like enjoying it, but they don't see the bags under their eyes. They don't see, they don't see the, they don't know the pain um, in the back or, you know, all these different things of what it took. And that reminded me so much of Hillaryville. And so I really took some inspiration from that. Um, James Baldwin with Just Above My Head. That book was in my grandmother's house my entire life. And I was, I'm so surprised by it because it's such a, such a queer book. <laughs> it, it's, it's insane how he correlates gospel to queerness in the book. It's genius. Yes. Um, and... I, I didn't real I didn't grab the book until after my grandmother passed. I wish I could have talked to her about this book. Just like, what did you think about this? Like, <laughs> it was like right there on a bookshelf. So I mean, like, she must have loved it. She kept it for a reason. Um, and I remember grabbing that book and reading it on a tour, and sitting in the back of the back of the back of the van and just crying just bawling and crying like every page it felt like a little piece of my personal self and um for that like James will always be a mentor of mine and he really showed me okay like you want to express your queer identity do it through art mhm and um that was a real huge proponent for me. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive. 
T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Glenn Ligon, man, he had these amazing prints um, where he would start with some text, mm-hmm. um, like a Zora Neale Hurston quote or something. And as the page goes down, it the text would just get muddled and yep. muddled and muddled. And um, I found that to be so expressive and quite musical. And I wanted to, I wanted to express that in music, where I like I'll start with a melody and really develop it until it's a cacophony of emotions towards the end, you know. And so I really try to. Um, Embrace, embrace that. He also has this print with the "I am a man." Uh-huh. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yes. Whereas I, that's one of my favorite pieces of art where he just like picks, you know, all the little imperfection yeah. spots. Um, I've always felt that way um, as an artist um, in the past. In a way, I guess, afraid or really trying to meet other people's expectations other than my own. Mm. And um, seeing that was really important for me um, and super inspirational. Um, kind of reinforced to me that I really need to embrace who I am within myself, um, imperfections and all. So you're in there. You have... Some piece of inspiration. Yeah. You know where you want to go. Is it the rhythm first? Is it the melody first? Do we go into the the sound and then bring in the words and the lyrics? Or how, how, how do you do it? Man, um, so I've been working. I was working on these tunes for years and years um, just on piano, um, piano and singing. At first, I thought maybe these could live with the indications, but then I realized, nah, that's not going to be the case. Um, And upon wanting to go into the studio and dive into these, um, I didn't give the band any expectations. Um, I gave them my demos of me on piano and singing, but we kind of just walked into the studio together to really figure it out. Um, so we just jumped right on in, honestly. Um, and I was, I really, really appreciate them letting me steer the ship. Um, I could tell them, you know, this isn't working or we need to speed this up. We need to slow this down. Uh, this groove is a little weird. It's a little wonky. Um, but also allowing them to try things. One thing I always one thing I really tried to reiterate in that studio process was that no idea was a bad one. 
Um, we would try every any idea that anyone had. And so, yeah, just went in, went into it with an open mind, um, not necessarily thinking, okay, we're going to start with this groove here and see how this works out. You know, just jumped right into the tunes, whatever was in folks' heads. You know, I really wanted that sporadicness. I wanted us to play, Victor Wooten has this quote, like, a kid playing air guitar never misses any no. notes. Right, 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 right. And I really wanted us to play in that way because I feel like that's the freest way to go. Are you really playing the songs? Like, is it a, is it a live recording or is it mm-hmm. pieces? It's live. Mm. Yeah. Um, which is something that I never got to do in, with any album. In the past, it would be like the instrumentals or track, you know, the drummer would do his thing. Right. And then the bass and guitar would come on and the keys, you know. Right. And then you have like your vocal day. I didn't want to do that this time around. I looked at all of my favorite musicians, like Dionne Warwick, sure. you know, with Burt Bacharach and how David, how she would have, how they would have that huge orchestra and she'd be dead in the center and like everyone's taking the take together or Aretha Franklin at Muscle Shows or Otis Redding at Stax. Um, they were in the room live with the band. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do. And are you playing the song all the way through or are you like? All the way through. Wow. Yeah. And at first we thought, okay, Duran's going to come in and come in the room and, and do the do these songs live with the band. And then we'll redo the vocals. But the vocals were just so spot on and so they were just there that we kept them. And because you're in a performance rather than something else, right? It's There's more. There's more energy, right? Yes. It was so emotional. And also the ideas. That was like the most beautiful part. I was coming up with things right off the, right free on the mind. You know, like it wasn't premeditated. I was just like, whoa, what was that? I really like that. And it was recorded. And so it was just like. It was a really, really, really freeing thing to do. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you're there. We're doing it live. How many takes is it normally? Does it take normally? Man. Thinking of Lord Have Mercy, we we played that song straight for like 45 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. We just looped it around and around and around. And I'd say maybe... We took like eight takes of it. We took it until like I was like, I can't do it anymore. I'm getting a headache. Um, with other tunes, it took maybe three or four takes. But um, and just picking the best one, the one that felt right. But it took a little figuring out sometimes, and there were sometimes we had to pause and start over again. But um, yeah, I would say somewhere around three or four. On average, yeah. Wow. Why didn't everybody do it like that? I think because it's hard. What makes it harder? You are more, the pressure's on a little bit more to be on top of your toes. Because if you make a mistake or mess up, um, it's not like the band is going to stop. And, you know, you got to keep going. And so I think the pressure is really of like, okay, I have a full take to like really nail this and make it sound good. So wait, so if you made a mistake, would you stop or would you just keep going? 
For the most part, we would keep going. And maybe, you know, if, if something was really blatant or something was, or someone was like, ah, that note I played there is really offensive to my ears. We would, you know, make some edit here or there, but we really tried to take everyone's like full takes of, of the record. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's kind of amazing. Thanks. To take it back to that, like performing together all in the same room. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't think folks realize how infrequent that is. Cause when we see it in movies, that's pretty much how they do it most of the time. Yeah. But a lot of times that's not the case. They never were in the room. They sent to M they sent to MP three, <laughs> emailed it. Okay, send it back. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was really affirming for me to know that I could do it the way my heroes did it. <laughs> Hell yeah. So wait, so <clears throat> how do you write? I start with poetry. Mm. Um I you know, I really have to thank my dad for that. Um, he's such a stoic countryman. Like, he don't say much um, or anything, really. And it always blew my mind away that when there would be, like, a program at church or whatever, he would get up and say these, like, really beautiful poems. And I'm like, where's this emotional man coming from? Because... <laughs> I definitely don't see this at home, you know, like, like, where's this artistry coming from? Um, And so I really feel like I got a love of poetry from him. And so usually I would just, I don't give myself any rules when I'm writing poetry. Sometimes I even make up words um, if it, if it means something to me or if it's, or if it's like grabbing me. And from there, I take the lines that I like the most and work with those to develop, you know, some kind of A, B, A, B, C, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're, but you're singing, you're writing for yourself, mm-hmm. right? Are you thinking about the audience? We want to make a hit. We want to connect with people. You're like, I got to love it. I've done the let's make a hit thing in the past. But with this stuff, this was all personal for right. me. Yeah. 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 Deeply. Yeah. And it's been really, really, really cool seeing how something personal for me is also healing and um, beneficial for the listeners. Yeah. It's so liberating to share a part of your real heart and spirit and have people Accept it and embrace it. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy. Definitely. Yeah. Um, what's next? What's next? Oh, man, I'm just going to hit the road on this project. And I feel like an ambassador of Hillaryville now. And so yeah. I'm going to keep telling the story about this place. Um, Hillaryville, surrounded by a sugar cane. Um for most of my life, but slowly and surely the sugarcane fields are turning into um, subdivisions. And these subdivisions are really fancy and really nice, and they're surrounding this poor black little community, which causes the property taxes to raise. And it's already happening to where some of the families who were given this land 
like their their ancestors who were formerly enslaved folks received this land. Um, they haven't been able to afford the property taxes on it, so it's been taken away from them. And all of a sudden, we're seeing it, it, this contrast, this crazy contrast of these really nice houses next to these really raggedy trailers. And of course, the people in the nice houses have no context. They don't know that Hillaryville was founded by formerly enslaved folks who received it as a form of reparations. They don't. They don't know any of that history, and so all they see is. Um, uh, 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 something to get rid of, something to, something that's depreciating the value of their homes, and so I feel like it's my duty now to tell this story of this place and to bring light on not only Hillaryville but all these other little small black towns in the rural South that are just like it, um, so that you know the story is told and that they don't disappear. Wait, are you saying <clears throat> are you saying you come from people who actually got their 40 acres? In a way, yeah. The thing is is that the plantation that these enslaved folks came from, there was over 500 enslaved people there. But they only gave it to the eight, I guess, men who were <laughs> I guess the most respectable. Oh. Um Hillary Rice was like a minister. Okay. Um, for the enslaved, um, a man of color himself. Um, and so I guess he was considered to be the leader, so they named it Hillaryville after him. The, they gave him how much? I don't I don't really know. They gave him some acres. Yeah. And this town is because of him. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And I'm so proud of it because it really goes to show, like, what would happen if America— would give mm. black folks their just due, their reparations. You could use Hillaryville as an example. Immediately what these folks did was build a school so their kids could learn and educate themselves. Uh, they built churches. They built restaurants and general store and a hotel, and they had bars and juke joints in this little town of 500 folks. But they just wanted a place, a community that was self-sustaining, where they could feel 100% human, you know, they didn't because they knew as soon as they left the sugarcane fields and crossed the train tracks, you know, they, that it would not be the same case. And now they have a superstar. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> a little ambassador, you know. I'm proud. I'm proud. You should be. Thank you. Thanks so much for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick... 
Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. 